Welcome to The Self-Made Theory. The podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. interesting under-the-radar type of story in this episode. I first met Millerad when I presented at the CEO Institute a few months back. We got talking about Energy Exemplar, where he's the VP of sales and a shareholder at about their extraordinary success and growth. They've been in business for 20 years and they've enjoyed consistent year-on-year growth of around 30%. What do they do? They're a software company providing the global leading economic modeling and market simulation software for the energy industry based out of Adelaide. It's a classic living room university project startup story by the founder, Glenn Drayton. They now have offices all over the world, including London, four offices in the US, an office in Singapore and staff in Dubai. We also talk about the need to look after yourself if you're going to be involved in running a global business. Millerad has been to 20 countries and visited 41 cities in the nine months up to when we recorded. It's an interesting company with an interesting product and it's something we don't often think about. But when you power up your phone to listen to this podcast, sitting behind that power is a world of complexity which the average person has no idea about. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Millerad, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thank you, Ben. Millerad Zetchevich. That's it. Good How'd it go? really well. <laughs> so, Millerad, you're the VP of sales for Energy Exemplar, which a lot of people probably haven't heard about. So, keen to unpack your story and unpack Energy Exemplar. So, perhaps we could start with your elevator pitch. Well, uh, we make optimization software in the energy space for power, water, and gas. And uh, it's a fundamentally economic software that's a B2B product that's used for optimization, for utilities, for system operators, for minimizing costs, maximizing profits. That's fundamentally what uh, people use it for. There are many, many applications, uh, price forecasting in the wholesale electricity markets around the world to support trading decisions right through to dispatch optimization to minimize costs for power stations, investment planning as well, answering the question of where do I invest, uh, what do I invest, when do I invest it. So we have very advanced economically driven algorithms that make those decisions and support a lot of the functions that an analytics departments in these organizations. I imagine there's a lot of people listening going, wow, that's uh, pretty amazing and certainly ties in with a lot that we're seeing in terms of predictive analysis inside of software today. But Energy Exemplar is not a new company, is it? No, it's been around for 20 years now. We're, we're 20 years old and uh, we're in 57 countries and we continue to grow at 30% per annum. So if you actually think about what 30% means uh, every year to keep achieving 30% off a higher base is very, very challenging. The company has massively transformed since the time that I've been here, but we remain pretty focused on pretty much just making optimization software. Uh, we could very easily, given the the brain power and the development expertise and the backing that we've got, which is very substantial now, move into other fields and other areas, but we want to very much just stick to what we're good at. So 
Tell me who your typical customers are. Who are you selling to today? We have 100 utilities uh, around the world. So utilities like a power generation utility. Power generation yep. utility. Some of them are just generators and some of them are vertically integrated like your AGLs and Energy Australias and Origins and Alintas and Synergy out west here. So all the main players in Australia is typically the landscape we tend to see around the world. We have eight out of the top 10 in Europe. We have very big global utilities as clients as well. That's one segment. To the other segment that's very significant are system operators. So people who operate the system like AEMO here in Australia, but like AEMO, we have another 30 around the world as well. So explain AEMO to people who don't know uh, their role in the energy industry in Australia. So AEMO operates the system. There is a policy maker called the AEMC who makes policy decisions and works on things like design and analysis around changes of market design. And then there is the regulator who regulates the market. That's the AER, the Australian Energy Regulator who are very closely, obviously, associated with the ACCC, but the overlord, I suppose, from an operational perspective, who schedule and inform how plants should be dispatched for the national electricity market and then clear the price, I suppose, and everything that is associated with that whole market clearing function, that is AEMO. AEMO also are responsible for reliability analysis and informing the market of what is on the horizon from a supply adequacy point of view. And then they also partake in studies for capacity expansion and uh, informing the market of what the landscape in the future looks like, which the federal government relies on to a great extent now. Their role is increasing quite a lot. And in fact, uh, around the world, we're seeing system operators uh, significantly change the way they're operating because of the disruption that is happening in energy. And globally, from a technological perspective, there is just more and more arrival of batteries, rooftop solar, renewable energy that is disrupting the traditional utility landscape, the traditional transmission businesses, the generation businesses. And, and with all of that uncertainty comes the need to analyse and to understand what the future looks like. And people like AEMO are performing more of a function of informing nowadays government and the market as a whole as much as they are actually performing the function of uh, uh, operating the system. And that's where Energy Exemplar's platform comes into play. So they're using their platform to provide that market insight for the people that need that information. Yeah, that's right. Well, the Plexos, the tool that they're using is an integrated tool. It's uh, it's multifaceted in that regard. And so there are different departments and different analysts in there that use it for different things. And that's where Energy Exemplar's growth is coming from. It's coming uh, largely due to the fact that there is more disruption around the world. There is more demand coming from electric vehicles. There is electrification in third world countries, air conditioning penetration, things that we take for granted in Australia, which is that saturation point. Uh, there is more and more of this and therefore there is more and more need to analyse. So where does the data come from? What's being fed into Plexos or other platforms that you provide to actually provide the information that then becomes analysed? Well, the data in... We're we're in 57 countries, so it's a very wide and varied response. In Australia, it comes from AEMO and everything is publicly available. Then there are countries like Vietnam and other places where we find ourselves where when we sell Plexos, we sell the software, we have to undertake an implementation project to get people set up for success where we effectively do a back test. We run the simulator that we have, which is a simulator that uh, emulates the real world in a lifelike way backwards. And we back test and calibrate the outcomes and ask Plexos what it would have done under the same circumstances looking back so that we can create a starting position. So when there is no data in some of these places because the operators just don't make it available, Indonesia and Vietnam and many other places vis-a-vis America and Australia, well, then that work to actually get ready is uh, obviously just a little bit 
bit more challenging and laborious than it is if you've got a data set that is uh, already calibrated and ready to go like it is in Australia. And so then you operators or people who are looking for you know, analysis around the industry then run this real-world simulation and say, if we do this what's going to happen? Or if we do that, what's going to happen? That's right. And many people are using it for different things. I mean, we've got speculative traders uh, sitting in places like Singapore who work for hedge funds who only use it for one thing, and that is forecasting the price so that they can go and trade on the derivative market. Because in Australia, we've got a spot market and we've got a forward market and they put on those forward positions either to churn uh, because they've got a view on where that forward price is going, or in some cases, they take those derivative positions to spot. But all of that is being informed with a tool. And the tool of choice, the largest producer of this kind of technology in the world is, is us. We are 50% bigger than the nearest rival in terms of both the revenue and customer numbers. It's uh, thankfully due to the ability to, to be able to have a lifelike emulator, a lifelike simulator of the market that many people tend to get confidence in using it for those results for things like, for example, price forecasting, although that's just one application. So in a lot of cases, people uh, get comfort from it because it it is now the platform of choice around the world for many system operators, people like NSOE in Belgium who operate the entire market for the European Union and outside of the European Union for that matter. A lot of people gravitating towards this because they're needing to emulate what they're doing. But in a lot of cases, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's simply a case of needing to have technology that is as accurate as possible so that they could have confidence when they're forecasting. Mm. So where, where did it all start? Well, it started um, in 99. The founder of the company is Glenn Drayton. He's still he's a shareholder. He's still, still a shareholder, yep. yes. And uh, Louise Rowe, who also was one of the original founders of the company, it started really from his university project back at the... Is that right? Yes. Wow. It was a university project um, from the University of Canterbury. It was actually his PhD. And that model eventually just became commercial. It's as simple as that. Wow. So he basically did this as part of his university and then decided he could commercialise that and take that out to market. That's right. And there were other tools around which did the same job, but he saw an opportunity to make it distinctively different. So the platform architecture is extremely unique in a lot of ways, and it's allowed us to scale and build other things on top of it and add more features. As a result, he moved from New Zealand, came to Adelaide in South Australia, where the uh, headquarters still are. Yeah. Uh, still are which we're in... sitting inside of now. Yes, which we are. Which you don't spend a lot of time in, but we're going to get back to that <laughs> a bit later. <laughs> no, that's right. Thanks for the reminder. And uh, yeah... So, you know, and it's a great success story. It's one of those stories where, you know, they tell tales of uh, working out of a home. They worked out of a living room and a, and a spare room in the house. In fact, they had a picture on a wall of what that single computer used to look like out of a makeshift office, so to speak. Wow. I'm one of the first adopters of the software. You know, I first picked it up in 2001 at what is now called Energy Australia. Back then it was TXU and it became True Energy. And um, So you were working for one of their customers effectively? I was one of their yeah. first customers globally, okay. one, one of the first. And uh, I remember when I uh, first got it, uh, it was not the best. Uh, but I got it because I really liked it from an architectural perspective and I saw enormous potential. I knew that this was going to go places a lot quicker and I could personally do a lot of things with it that I couldn't do otherwise with other software. And so to coming back to the point of where did it all start, you know, the first training that I got from Glenn was in his living room. You know, there was a baby crying uh, who's now his son who comes in, he, he sits next to me not far away. There was a baby crying, you know, in the corner and that was his. Uh, that was their first child. And it's one of those great stories. Uh, we now got offices in London 
London covering Europe. We've got four in the United States. We've just hired someone in Dubai, uh, expanding, looking to hire more. We've got uh, Adelaide covering uh, Asia. We've just opened an office in Singapore. And how many people do you have working globally for you now? Uh, I've lost count because we've doubled the amount of staff in 2018, and I think we're putting on another 40 people at the moment. We've uh, made a decision to open a 50-person development centre in India. So we've got 40 developers now globally, but in addition to that, we're, we're opening another 50-person development centre in India, turbocharge uh, a lot of the development that we still think is needed to improve even further. Even though we are the biggest in this space in the world, the amount of opportunity that we still see and the requests that we still get from people who need to, uh, not even want to, but need to um, fulfil is increasing, it's growing. And uh, it's not just in electricity, it's in gas as well. And so what role is you know, renewables and others playing on not only the industry, but how does that impact energy exemplar? It impacts us in the sense that we need, we have always from the beginning needed to be on top of the technology that is required to model renewables. It's a very, very challenging and complicated subject matter. And it, there's, it's always been the case that there are having a very small simulation step size uh, because renewables are very, very intermittent. And if you're obviously modelling at the half hourly or hourly level, you're not capturing the level of granularity and the dynamics that occur in the market from a generation mix point of view if you have wind suddenly falling off. Because when it falls off, it falls off suddenly. You know, clouds pass over solar suddenly. And so from that point of view, things like that, there are many other things, but things like that have always been very important to model and to capture. And to give you an idea of just how important that is, in the European Union now, the University of Cork in Ireland is a research group that use Plexus. And they are not just a, a research group, they actually now have morphed into effectively becoming the policy arm of Brussels. And they have a, a massive team of people who model with Plexus. And they did a study recently where they changed the resolution from a modelling perspective from hourly down to the five-minute level to be able to capture those wind dynamics and found that they unlocked 4.5 billion euro of value just by changing the simulation step size. And so to answer your question, since the very beginning, since about the year 2000, when a lot of these really big renewable studies started to get done, particularly in the United States, Plexos has had the ability to do them. And so it comes back to my point, you know, why did I go and buy it? Why was I one of the first adopters? And the answer is because it always, from the beginning, had the platform. It had the ability to go there. And so even though it wasn't there, and even though we're still not there now, we're still not there now. We're the largest in the world. We're growing at 30% per annum, but we're still not there now. We've got the need to open a 50-person development centre in India. That, I think, goes to show just how important it is to actually have the right technology to present to the market. Otherwise, you're coming to the market saying, I can do it, and then you end up letting people down. As far as where I come from, I'm a simple person. You've either got it or you haven't. <laughs> so you loved it so much, you came and worked for the company and our shareholder as well. Yes, yes, that's right, all of those things. So, so you've been here for five years now, uh, responsible for VP of sales. You spend a lot of time overseas, I imagine, with customers around the world? I do, I do. It's a very difficult place to have this job as well from yeah, Adelaide because it takes about you know eight hours just to leave the country. I came from Dubai two days ago and it's a 13-hour uh, flight. I arrived on Saturday night and I leave on Sunday to go to London. So I've got about a week here at home to say hi to, to my office and to my Make family. It, made it back in time for Father's Day. I just made good. it back in time for Father's Day. That, that's right. Well, that was my aim. Uh, if I'm home for the weekends, I always say that's a win. I try and do that. But I do, I mean, so far this year I've visited 20 
countries and uh, 41 cities, my travel. So I'm away about 35% of the time. So is it tough running a global software company from Australia? It, it is really tough. I mean, besides the obvious things that go with that kind of a lifestyle where you need to be physically fit uh, to, to be able to withstand it and you need to be uh, mentally quite strong because you can experience a lot of challenges. It's also true to say that one of the biggest challenges when you've got a global business is not even that. It's the fact that communication is challenging across different time zones with your own people and just getting everybody together in the same room is I think one of the biggest challenges we've always had and I don't think it goes away. And as you grow and as the subject matter becomes more complex, the organisation becomes bigger, the need to play as a global team becomes much, much more important and yes, the time zones do make that very challenging. So how do you do that today? Because I do know there's a number of companies here in Adelaide that are running global businesses from here. I think the last episode uh, was Australian Fashion Labels and they talked about, well, you know, they've got people at the end of the day talking overseas and people at the beginning of the day talking to people overseas. So how do you bring together a team globally? Well, it actually really starts with having the right mindset and having the right empowerment. And that for us comes from the shareholder, the main owner of the company who's Riverside, because they give us the toolkit. They're a venture capital firm? No, they're private private equity. equity. Okay. They're a private equity firm and they're absolutely brilliant. I cannot uh, speak more highly enough about Riverside. A lot of people when going into this told me that I was about to experience all kinds of horrors because they had horror stories with private equity, but our mine has been absolutely a dream come true. And that's where it starts. It's been the case for other employees too. Uh, that's where it all starts because if you've got the right partner on board and they're very much considered to be a partner who are journeying with us on this growth journey, you need to have the toolkit, you need to have the budgets, you need to have the empowerment, you need to have the delegations of authority, the freedom to be able to go off and do what you need to do. And in my case, that's hunting, that's actually selling. In other cases, it's people developing creatively and coming up with new ideas. In other cases, it's people seeking improvement in other areas but all of that fundamentally has to start from a good shareholder. It has to start from a good CEO who we've got in David Wilson. He's absolutely brilliant and a good executive team. And so if we've got the right global team to play, then asking people to get up at, you know, I got up at seven o'clock in the morning uh, this morning for a meeting with everybody. And sometimes it's at midnight. Uh, It's just made all the more easier. Whereas if you don't have a good culture, within an organisation and everything's a drag and you don't have the right tools for being set up for success, then getting people to play ball with you on a global level so that you can get your job done is just all the more harder. So other than obviously the cash that a private equity firm brings to the business, you've got a CEO that's been appointed by them also. What are the other things that they bring to you that you couldn't have done perhaps without private equity or without Riverside specifically? Besides the investment that they've made in in people um, from a monetary perspective, they also have helped us by aligning us with the right people globally to advise us, to guide us. They've provided sales coaches, for example, uh, out of the United States for all of our salespeople globally. We have also had great success in partnering with certain consultants who are very closely aligned to them who have done great work in the past to help us in other areas of the business without getting into specific details, which is possible for you to go off and I suppose go and find. If everyone goes and Googles or phones a friend, I suppose it's possible, but it's just made all the more easier when you've got someone who's been through this so many times, who has so many different companies and so many success stories. So from that point of view, I think we're very, very fortunate and to a lot of, to a great extent, I think I'm very lucky because that's not really what I thought was going to happen when I joined. When I left Melbourne five years ago, a lot of people said I was crazy 
crazy because I was coming into a small pond. I was coming into a, a relatively much, much smaller organization than what it is now. And look, they said you, you, they didn't have any doubts that I would do well, but people were just wondering why I was leaving this world of working for utilities and other big players in the national electricity market and why I'd want to come over here specifically. And the answer for me is because it was just so much more fun. It was so much more challenging. It's a, uh, In life, uh, I suppose you do need to take risks and you need to think a little bit more laterally. And in my case, that lateral thinking was about, uh, you know, what is this company, who are they involved with and what are they going to be doing tomorrow vis-a-vis somebody who's just simply working uh, in a very homogenous environment. I want to quote from your website from a customer of yours who's a US-based utility. And the quote says, hands down, Energy Exemplar are the best software company I have ever dealt with. That's a big statement. We're not talking the best market predictive analysis software, best software company I have ever dealt with. What's he talking about? Well, that's a, a great endorsement. I don't remember that quote specifically. Um, that's because there's just too many of them, isn't there? <laughs> you've got the brand of the software that everyone focuses on, but the company has a brand too. And that brand's really, really important to look after and to preserve, to nurture. And uh, I think we've tried really, really hard in being customer service focused. Uh, we've now extended our support uh, globally to be 24 hours a day, six days a week. I think we can probably get to seven. We just need to get into more time zones. But it's about the way in which we solve problems. It's the way in which we choose to partner with other people globally to solve those problems. Uh, We still don't consult. So coming back to my very first point about being focused, because we are very focused on being a technology company means that we can take care of people a lot better in terms of whatever they need today, but also in terms of whatever they need tomorrow from a development point of view. If you are distracted and doing things like consulting on the side. Consulting in what areas? Providing general consulting services. So so somebody coming um, to you and saying, well, I know you've got software, but can you run some studies for me? Right. And then you bill them for that. Now, obviously we could make a lot of money if we did that, but it would mean that the entire workforce would be paralysed. Uh, we wouldn't be able to grow. We wouldn't be able to deliver what we deliver today if we did that. In fact, we wouldn't even be halfway there. And so that's a philosophy um, and great discipline that has been enforced since day one. And sometimes that's hard for companies to do, particularly when there's cash on offer to go and do those things, is to really remain focused on the, the niche or the niche, as they say in America, that you've carved out. Staying focused is really important. It is It is really important. It's really hard. And that's why the early days uh, were really, really hard for, for Glenn and Louise. It was very challenging because they were persistent in not allowing a perpetual model to prevail here in the organisation. We license on an annual basis. So obviously, if you see the opportunity and you need that cash, whether it comes from consulting or whether it comes from a perpetual license where you get a whole lot of cash up front and you pay annual maintenance that's only very small thereafter, it's kind of like the heroin hit that you get up front it satisfied the business and everyone's happy for a very short period of time but then what you know you very quickly face a situation where you then don't have the ongoing support to be able to invest in constant ongoing development and nor do you have the staff because they're distracted and as a sales guy your budgets <laughs> and as a sales guy your 
buggered because you don't, you know, you don't, that's right, you're buggered because you might have the cash to go out there and go hunting this month, but you certainly haven't got it on an ongoing basis. You can't plan either. You can't partner with people properly either. They can't value you properly either. And so it just becomes um, all the more challenging. So, you know, that comment about the company, I think, is kind of on the surface looks like it's a customer service related acknowledgement on their part, but I always look a little bit deeper and I think it's actually more to do with the structure and the focus of the organisation, the focus that we've got that's actually fundamentally driving that and that's what stands behind the brand. In terms of software, uh, we hear a lot about AI, particularly machine learning, in predictive analytics space. Does that form part of your platform today? Uh, No, it doesn't. We are more in the space of pure mathematical optimization, predictive analytics and taking information that exists out there and then forming a view of it, which AI does, is a little bit different to what we do. We have a fundamental model where you put in the actual demand, you put in the physical parameters of all of the machinery and the, the technology that exists and then run a mathematically based optimization and a four that goes and informs. It isn't like AI or machine learning at all in that regard. When we think about the customers you've got globally and in here in Australia, what would happen if LNG Exemplar wasn't around tomorrow? What would that do to those companies, those industries, those markets? They would be served by somebody else, but the results uh, that they would be getting would be suboptimal. Our biggest competitor is Excel. It's Microsoft because they've got Excel because a lot of the world still uses in-house software because it's convenient and they've had it around for a while. And But obviously, uh, if you have a very complicated subject matter and a very, very difficult problem to solve that is on the global level so significant, you obviously need to have the right enabler. And you want the global data. You want the global experience that comes from dealing with an organisation like Energy Exemplar. That's right. It's about the experience. That's right. And, and so that's the philosophy of our company. It's not just to deliver the technology, it's to transfer the knowledge. And we're happy to transfer the knowledge because we're not in things like consulting. So a consultant will stay with you and try and bill you forever, getting recurring revenue that way. Our philosophy is completely different. Our philosophy is to just give you as much knowledge up front to enable you to be self-sustained from day one, which is very, very different. But that knowledge needs to come from not only us, it comes from some of the partners who we use for implementations because we recognise that, you know, even though we've got a lot of great people here, sometimes there are partners who, who do a better job with us. Uh, so from that point of view, it's very, very important to have the right uh, formula for customer service. On the subject of knowledge transfer, the knowledge transfer doesn't just come from us. The knowledge transfer comes from the entire client base that we've got because what's massively changed over the course of the last couple of years is that this whole social network has just absolutely exploded around the world because most people recognise that 90% of the time, even though we've got all these utilities, they're not competing with each other. So what do you mean they're not competing with each other? well, Well, a utility in the United States is not competing with Origin Energy here necessarily. And so these guys, and I'm just using Origin as an example, you know, because some people might just know the, yeah. the name to understand who we're talking about. The people are finding that they're getting a lot of benefit in coming together and from each other from each other to solve problems. So they're not sharing anything confidential in terms of data, but they're finding common ground in sharing the ways in which they're solving problems. So some of that is facilitated by us as well. So we have these user group meetings around the world where we will have user group meetings in, now we had 
one in Valencia in June this year. We're going to Las Vegas now in a few weeks in September where we've got a few hundred people turning up to that event. We've got another three or four uh, next year. So a lot of these are opportunities, not just for networking, but where people come and present what they are doing with the software. We curate a lot of the, the topics. Uh, we make sure that uh, the right people are speaking, that they're senior enough, and uh, people just come to learn. And so this is where the whole knowledge transfer piece comes in uh, that I was referring to before. Sounds like you get a lot of things right. Uh, and it sounds like a very exciting place to be. What, what have you got wrong over the years? What are the things that have tripped you up or caused you a bunch of headaches that you didn't see coming? I think, again, we've been very blessed and we've had a lot of great smooth running. We've never had any lawsuits to speak of. We've never had any uh, disputes uh, to speak of. One of the, I suppose, biggest regrets, I think, uh, may have been in the past. If I could turn back time five years ago and say, I've just arrived here, what would I do differently? I would have probably just invested more in sales. We were very blessed to have the success that we've had and that came from people coming to us and I did go out there and still hunt. I was the regional director for Asia and I used to look after Latin America and Middle East as well and I also used to look after global marketing. So one of the biggest issues that we had was I was kind of involved in a lot of things in the organisation whereas in hindsight had we split things up a little bit more and invested in people and very specifically in salespeople, maybe we could have had faster growth because I still think that at the end of the day you do need salespeople and just not like we didn't have them, but it's something that a lot of people tend to forget the importance of. And if you look at from a DNA perspective, who we are as an organisation, we didn't come from that world where it's a classic software situation where you've got software, but then you also understand that you need to sell it. Of course, it was always understood, but when you have a very academic mindset, you tend to uh, you know get really excited about someone who knocks on your door who's got a PhD, uh, which is important for particular things. But I come from the school of thought that says, well, you need to have the right balance as well and the right balance uh, in order to sell is not the guy who's academically necessarily brilliant who has the PhD it's the person who can actually push product into the market. I think over all of the podcasts where I've interviewed people that theme would come up and at least 50% of the time we had a great product we came up with a great idea we had this great software this great tech this great platform but we didn't invest enough in how to get it to market and selling it quickly enough. That's the tap for the cash, isn't it? That's the tap for the growth. You don't turn that on quickly enough, and then it can be a challenge. Most people would be pretty happy with 30% year-on-year growth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Well, it depends. You know, you've got to you've got to be okay with it as well because it's um, you know it's uncomfortable. It's, it's great because you know you haven't got the suffering on the other end of the spectrum where you're you're going flat or negative. But at the same time, it's really really challenging. You know, so you'd be we're happy with it, but it's not like we sleep peacefully at night going you know popping champagne corks all the time. It's really really challenging. Well, particularly when you think about the the lost opportunity, right? Thirty percent year on year is fantastic but could it have been more than that uh, is there more opportunity out there for you and no one wants to leave any opportunity on the table that's right so what excites you about the future for energy exemplar i like the direction of the platform like i said we've expanded our development team now and we've hired some very senior people as well in the united states from a customer experience point of view uh, people who are ex paypal and aol we've uh, got people who are gui experts we've got a, a new uh, chief product uh, officer also out of uh, california very very 
advanced and highly successful people in their past jobs who have now come in and are shaking up the product uh, for a very exciting new world. So uh, obviously there is a lot more uh, opportunity out there for us in electricity. That's where the product's been most mature. There's a lot of opportunity in gas. We've been in gas now for about five years, uh, seriously in gas, but now we've become even more serious in the fact that we were able to model LNG globally. We can model shipping and liquefaction and gasification and we can model ship diversion. As a co-optimise with electricity, when you co-optimise commodities, you get very different mathematical answers than if you model things as standalone. And so we've done some water development, which has been very useful for desalination in the Middle East. So we've got clients in the Middle East that are solving that whole power water gas co-optimisation problem in totality as a three-way co-optimisation. Using your platform. Using our platform, some very significant players. And so we've, we recognising the feedback that we've got from them is that we need to advance uh, further the development in those areas. And so in terms of opportunity, it looks limited if you're growing at 30% per annum. And it looks like, well, you might hit a wall within a year or two. But in fact, uh, given the rapid expansion that's happening globally and how uh, complicated these problems are that people are trying to solve, we actually see that uh, there's a lot more uh, opportunity out there for us. So it excites me a lot. Mm, fantastic. Well, that's super exciting to hear. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of Energy Exemplar. Pretty excited to see how this rolls out. And hopefully this podcast can help people realise that uh, the amazing things that we can do here out of South Australia. So well done. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Interesting stuff, hey? Who knew that stuff even existed? Thanks, Millerad, for sharing your story with us. And thank you to all of our listeners around the globe for tuning in to The Self-Made Theory. If you're an entrepreneur or budding entrepreneur or a business leader and are faced with challenges in your startup, scale-up or established business that you're not sure how to solve for, then contact us to discuss how our executive coaching and advisory practice can help you. Email us on coach at theselfmadetheory.com. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.